Hi, everyone. Welcome to the May 13th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I am your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have missed the last few weeks, you may not know that tonight is my last show. So we'll cover some important topics as always, and we'll have a few special uh, words and thank yous at the end of the show. So let's get right to it. Topic number one, the 2022 legislative session ended in a flurry this week with mentions that a special session might be called since the state house had so many bills left to consider in the final days. Accusations about how that could happen were lobbed at both parties. House Republicans utilized some of the few stall tactics that it had at its disposal as a distinct minority party, asking for several bills to be read at length. But House Democrats also took heat for not managing the overall calendar more effectively, leaving so much to do at the end. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, all sessions are fun circuses to cover at this table. Uh, looking not really maybe all the bills right now, but looking at how it all ended, did it, did it seem different? Did it seem like a lot, a lot more crazy at the very last few days than usual? They are all crazy. They are just crazy in different ways. And this one, on Monday, you're going in with over 100 bills still to go. The House wound up lasting for 20 hours until 6.30 in the morning on Tuesday because you had the Republicans filibustering. You had Dave, let's not go, Brandon, just yapping away. You had to read all the bills. But they came out of it somewhat okay. They moved some things along. I think what we will discover is there are unintended consequences of these laws, not the laws of unintended co consequences, where people will have passed things they just didn't realize they were saying. Not unlike fentanyl in 2019, but we'll get to that. I do have to eat my words that some form of that recycling bill did make it out, but of course what we have is a task force that will have to look into it and figure out what to do, and they did exempt newspapers, so I can only say, well, at least it was a good bill. <laughs> a, a special asterisk. I don't think you're technically wrong on that one, but, you know, less right. I get that. Uh, Eric Sonderman joins us, uh, columnist with the Gazette newspapers and Cara Politics, longtime political analyst here at PBS 12. Eric, it, it seemed to me that, you know, I, I didn't know the, all the different ins and outs of 150 bills left of the, uh, last week, but the, the tennis term unforced error popped into my head. And if you control everything the whole time, uh, and trust me, as a procrastinator, I have waited to the very last <laughs> minute to do a lot of finals papers and have paid that price. But it seemed from the outside looking in that it was an unforced error. How do you look at it? I think unforced error is a, a great term, uh, apt term here. Yes, all of these sessions, they come to a zenith at the end. There's a flurry, I think, to use the word from your question. But it's relative how big the flurry is and how much there is left to do at the end. I'm not at my best when I'm completely sleep deprived and I've been going at this, you know, night after night, day after day. And I don't think legislators are probably at their best either. Yes, they have a, a deadline in sight. But I keep asking myself the question of why it has to be this way. Is there always going to be a push at the end? Of course, there's always going to be a push at the end. But do you need to go into the final week with multi-hundreds of bills, and including very consequential stuff, the, the meat and potatoes of the session, I don't believe that you do. I know we're going to get into the fentanyl bill. I think, you know, it's going to be curious what Polis does with the collective bargaining bill that now just, you know, exempted higher ed, exempted cities, exempted everyone except counties. Apparently their lobbying force wasn't uh, good enough to get them the exemption too or whatever uh, took place there. There were, there were problems galore, and the governor continues to cite this mantra of saving people money, saving people money. 
it's become, you know, it's become his uh, theme song. It's my column this, that comes out this weekend is somewhat going after that and invite viewers to read it. Also join us, Penfield Tate, an attorney with Tate Law, also a longtime state lawmaker. Pen, it's great to have you here on so many levels, but mostly I, you have been there in the middle of one of these crazy sessions, many of them that you've been a part of. Uh, so you know how this works, uh, whether it's an unforced error or the stall tactics. What did you take away with how it all ended? You know, it's a combination of things. And, and uh, there is a certain gravity that moves around in the session, and it is typically backed up at the end because what happens is some of the really controversial bills are the hard ones where you think you've got a deal in the works. You need as much time as you can to negotiate, and so those bills normally get pushed to the last day because you need to pressure people and make whatever final accommodations you can to try to get a deal. So that's natural. But what's happening at the legislature is in part a symptom of what's happening nationally. We are so polarized uh, that often policy debate suffers, and it's got nothing to do with being sleep deprived in the middle of the night. Policy debate suffers because policy and facts sometimes don't matter. It's simply politics. Um, and I understand the, the Republican minority in the House saying, well, let's read every bill at length so we can drag this out. Number one, be careful what you, what you do, because when the shoe's on the other foot, it's going to be flipped on you and you have to manage it. The other thing is they were, care they, they, they were, were fortunate they didn't incur the wrath of the majority because the speaker just could have told his committee chairs, every Republican bill in committee, kill him, kill them all. We'll, we'll alleviate the backlog that way. Anything that's got a Republican name on it, we'll kill all those, and then we'll just deal with our agenda, and that's it. But to his credit, Speaker Garnett didn't do that. Mm -hmm. He tried to play fair. He tried to play by the rules and work everything through. At the end of the day, I think they ended up where they needed to. Um, some of the bills that they held on to probably shouldn't have been held on to this long because they weren't the best of ideas in the world. And so they, they got um, killed on the floor or just died on the calendars. Others that were important got salvaged. What I do think was really interesting is I noticed that toward the end, I, I went and visited one day. As a former legislator, you can go in and sort of sit on the chamber floor. And one day they considered, I think it was 16 bills dealing with the environment. Um, and all but two of them passed. And, and I just found it interesting that bills like that waited until the last week to go through the process. But, but all in all, you know, managing the calendar is difficult. You got 65 people who you, you have to respect their opinions. But all in all, I think they ended up where they needed. And rounding up the panel, very special guest. We're bending a little bit of the CIO rules here, but I'm the executive producer, I get to do that. Uh, <laughs> Natasha Gardner, managing editor of History of Colorado. Officially, Natasha, you work for uh, the state government. We're not going to put any um, pressing questions of what you think about Governor Polis, who's technically at the top of the org chart uh, at your uh, place of employment. But as a citizen, as you're looking at the end of this session, um, we still live in a purple state. Democrats hold a lot of positions. But I think overall the state is fairly balanced and will tilt a little bit one way or the other. As citizens look at this session, um, what do you think they're taking away from the, the overall picture? 
It's an interesting question because I think, you know, around this table, anytime we look at politics, it's so easy to choose a data point. What are you what are you going to look at? Is it the number of bills? Is it the type of bills? Is it who's in power or not? And for me, I, I think it's important to sometimes take a step back and just think about the fact that they represent us. Mm -hmm. So they're in that capital, in the middle of our major metropolis, in the middle of the state, and they're responding to the same environmental concerns that the rest of us have. And in this session, that's still COVID. I know. Two years later, we're still talking about that. But, you know, think about any of you who come January or we're trying to make travel plans for spring break or to think about could could I book a concert in August? Who knows? And then Omicron comes into all this. I, can, I don't think we can underestimate how that might have affected the way they were able to push through bills, to prioritize things, to decide what needed, say, financing and what didn't. And I think that one of the things that always happens after sessions, and we hear this more and more often, if you talk to a state senator or a state uh, representative, they will say it does not end at the end of session, that they're back at it, they're in their communities, they're making, doing work throughout this entire break. I think this this summer is going to just be worse than normal. They have all of this unfinished business, mm -hmm. but they also have to look at next year. And I think their constituents are going to say, okay, it sounds like maybe this last session had a lot of things you get to, now what are you going to do? And I don't think there's going to be less to do. I mm -hmm. think like most of us, their to-do list is just going to get longer. Makes sense. Staying with the Colorado legislature, one of the very last bills to get approval from both the Senate and the House was the final version of a bill clarifying how to handle possession of fentanyl. The bill sent to the governor makes it a felony to possess more than one gram of fentanyl, but allows defendants to ask a jury to make it a misdemeanor based on if the defendant knew there was fentanyl laced in the substance in question. Eric, this was one of those where there is a lot of different details and twists and turns. I do not pretend to totally understand this. Did enough happen politically so that this does not become the cudgel I think it's going to be throughout the election season with Democrats and Republicans? No, it didn't happen. Enough did not happen. This will be the cudgel. In many ways, as brutal as the fight over this issue was during the legislative session, the fight is just beginning now that election season uh, is in the offing. This will be a cudgel used. Uh, there's intra-party intra differences within the Democratic Party. And then obviously you have the Republicans waiting out there to beat the crime and fentanyl drum, and they will beat it hard. Uh, this compromise between the two houses was reminded me in some respects almost of a Hickenlooper move, if you want to dial the clock back, where Hickenlooper always felt there was no issue that you couldn't split the difference. So they tried, and that might be a little bit unfair to our former governor, but they tried to split the difference here, and I'm not sure they did it in a way that is terribly manageable or, or that gets the job done. You have a huge, in the last 24, 36 hours since the session ended, You've had a huge coalition of, of district attorneys, current and former, other law enforcement officials, John Southers, the mayor of Colorado Springs, who himself is a former DA, United States attorney, Colorado attorney general, all come out asking for a veto. Governor Polis has made clear there's not a veto forthcoming. He hasn't totally closed the door on a special session, but he's, you know, pushed the door toward closed uh, on that issue. I just think if you're interested in either serious crackdown on fentanyl or using the potential for serious crackdown as substantial leverage to get these people into treatment, you have created through this provision that it's even hard to describe, as you found out in your question, Dominic, you've created just this huge lane that any defense attorney can drive a, you know, a Mack truck down mm -hmm. uh, in defending anyone accused of this. 
Pam, when I look at the process, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which way to lean here because I know any good compromise means no one's happy, but it means it's a good compromise. But on the other end, and uh, you know, me and my clunky metaphors, it's like you know, over whipping whipping cream, and suddenly you've worked it too hard, and it's butter, and it's just you have to throw it out. Um, is this a good compromise, or do they just try too hard and now it's useless? You know, I to, to borrow on your analogy, I think it's probably a good compromise for now because no one's 100% happy. Um, and so I take a step back. When I saw all of this happening with fentanyl, and I understand the tragedy of people losing their lives because of this substance being mixed um, with other drugs, but I think to myself, well but they were mixed with other drugs that you maybe shouldn't have been taking in the first place that were illegal, which is not to say that it's the user's faulted. I'm not saying that, mm -hmm. but, but I struggled with this topic because of all the things that are ailing society where the legislature can come together and make some truly positive impact by thoughtful legislation this one seemed to be a bunch of people running around in circles trying to say, I'm the most extreme on this issue, um, and I want to take the most aggressive position without necessarily thinking through, and I think Eric said it, the law of unintended consequences, without really thinking through what's the impact of everything you're doing with so much focus on just one drug mm -hmm. right now. And so I hope there isn't a special session. I think you may need some time to just let this sort of settle in to see if this is the right approach. And you've always got next session to fix it if it isn't. Sure. Natasha, this seems like one of these, and there's a lot of issues like this, where cities are really paying attention because while it's a state law, it is cities and municipalities that are trying to deal with this. Uh, as citizens and cities look at this product, do you think they were provided any clarity? Does it make any sense or does more work need to be done? Ah, nuance. It's, it's my favorite year, word for 2022. <laughs> um, I mean, that's always the case, right? There's a law that's passed and then there's a reality of dealing with it. And so um, as I as I do every day now, I spend most of my time looking past and having look, seeing how we can help us understand our present and now better. And I've actually been working on a story recently, editing a story about prohibition. And as I was talking to the authors about it, um, Sam Bach and Jason Hansen, they were, you know, finding and showing me some ways that there are parallels in that discussion into conversations that we're still having today. And then if you expand that further, it, it's it's so interesting to think about the how do we discuss uh, the regulation of drugs or, or um, laws around drugs at any decade and what lessons did we learn? What what things have we um, gained from that experience? And, and the fact of the matter is that I think that's still very much up in the air, which is what we're hearing um, this year and probably will hear next year and the year after that. So it's not necessarily clarity, but more understanding of maybe how we got to this moment. Patty, what do you think? I mean, we're going to not only see this in the 2022 election with you know, the state seats, but this is clearly going to lead the headlines for the municipality election here in Denver that is seemingly right around the corner. Um, how is this going to be messaged with how it ended up? 
Well, and that was my law of unintended consequences, Penn, <laughs> because 2019, when that bill was passed that they have been trying to undo about fentanyl, that created unintended consequences, which we'll see at the ballot box. But for all the talk of fentanyl, you would think we'd all been jabbed with fentanyl rather than a vaccine to fight COVID over the last two years. How could we possibly have spent so much time talking about this one drug when there will be other drugs coming along? I would say very little was said about education, which was clearly the most important message about fentanyl. The five people who died in Commerce City, that's, I think, when we all learned that cocaine is now often laced with fentanyl. I think that's when most people learn that. We need the educational level more than all the posturing we saw in the legislature and all the posturing we're going to see as we go into the next election. That's a good point. To the going away gift that keeps on giving, a Mesa County judge ruled this week that clerk and recorder Tina Peters will not be allowed to oversee the 2022 election. Peters is currently a candidate for secretary of state and won the top line of the Republican primary ballot at the state assembly earlier this year, receiving over 60 percent of the vote. Penn, there's so many different ways to go on this one. I, I guess what I'm wondering is. Usually, as somebody with, with uh, L, our producer, uh, usually someone would see this as a way to demure off of a campaign. But and I said, gosh, would it be funny if she did a uh, campaign ad in an orange jumpsuit? I think that might actually be an advantage for Tina Peters. She actually might get more support. It would, it would kill any other campaign. This is different. Perhaps I'm crazy would not be the first time. Your thoughts. You aren't the only one crazy, because I, I think she may actually aspire to that. It would cement her true believer status. You know, when you step back and think about this, this was a person who was the elected head election official in her county, Mesa County, which is not a blue county by any stretch of the imagination. Um, now she's indicted on 10 counts. And when you think about it, criminal impersonation, conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation, identity theft. Um, you know, attempts to influence a public servant, servant uh, th there's something radically wrong with her point of view. And, and we've talked about her before, unfortunately, because, you know, as you said, it's the gift that keeps giving. You've got someone who thinks that the elections were corrupt. So she proves her point by being corrupt and being a criminal which makes no sense to me, but she just can't help herself. And, and I think uh, I watched Dick Wadhams on TV a few weeks ago, and he was just lamenting the fact that, you know, we're going to lose the Republican Party outright in Colorado if we keep nominating people like this and the election deniers when we know they're not speaking truthfully about anything. But there she stands. <laughs> And the last time I saw her picture, she was in an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> uh, Natasha, perhaps this is just kind of a fun primary anomaly. So we can have fun with it in the spring, but the primary is coming and it gets back to what we at least call relative normal. Do you think that's on the horizon? Is there relative normal in America these days? Um, I, I think we're in a new normal in so many ways. I, I think one of the things that's interesting, we've talked about this many times at this table, is just the attention that sort of comes down the levels on the political uh, spectrum right now. So, you know, it used to be so much attention on, say, the biggest races, and now it's so much attention on the smallest races that has impacts on, on the way that these campaigns are financed, but the way that they're run. And, I mean, this is a perfect example. I mean, how 
many times did we spend this much time talking about a clerk and recorder? But now these positions are, there's a lot of attention on it in the election cycle, in between the election cycle. I mean, I kind of want somebody to put together a list of the, the top 10 clerks and recorders in, in state history, because this is an important job. I mean, this is such a critical part of our democracy. Um, so, and I'm sure that there's been some very big characters throughout the years. I would love to know their names. <laughs> Patty, we have talked about more than our fair share of characters, uh, and some of them actually being secretaries of state. Are we in for an even more interesting fall, thanks to Ms. Peters? Well, I think the odds are very good that despite the fact she's been charged with everything except ripping a label off one of Mike Lindell's mattresses, <laughs> she will probably win this primary. You know, she, people like her feistiness. And so this will be one of the most fun races to watch when you've got very unusual personality, shall we say, when you also throw in Jenna Griswold. But we've had some really wonderful secretaries of state over the years. I mean, when you remember Natalie Meyer, we had reputations. We've also had a few nuts, let's face it. But we've had really good, strong people who had fabulous reputations across the country. And partly because of their work, we still are considered the gold standard. We still have fair elections, unless perhaps you're in, in uh, Tina Peters' area. <laughs> Eric, when I think of how weird it can be, um, because around this table we have seen a lot of it, I think about a picture in our hallway here at PBS 12 where you and I and Mr. Benneman, Jim Benneman from our friends at CBS 4, are there with John Hickenlooper, Dan Mays, and Tom Tancredo. We thought that was going to be the pinnacle of craziness as elections go. That is now pretty normal and tame as we're looking at the fall of 2022. Is this a primary story or is this a fall story? We'll see. I'd go probably flip of the coin on this primary between Tina Peters and Pam Anderson. There's a third candidate in the race, but it's really between Tina Peters and Pam Anderson. If they nominate Tina Peters, it's, you know, just like signing the death warrant, uh, uh, Jenna Griswold for all her faults and all her political shortcomings will beat Tina Peters like a drum. As I said on, I believe, on this show following my Saturday spent at the State Assembly in Colorado Springs, which I'm still in therapy for what I witnessed there. Uh, you know, the, the odds are much higher that Tina Peters will occupy a jail cell next January than that she will occupy a Capitol office. But I do think, Dominic, fitting for your last show, that we bring some of these characters back. And, you know, we don't have Ward Churchill here. <laughs> we don't have Dan Mays here. Yeah. But we do have Tina Peters. Too bad she can't just come out this door and do a little cameo here in her orange jumpsuit. <laughs> but it is fitting for your last show that one of these gifts that keep on giving throughout Colorado is the final topic. If Tina could have just kicked a Douglas Bruce at a War Churchill speech, we'd have had a trifecta. <laughs> I'll go home. Forget it. Exactly. So uh, as we said, mentioned at the top of the show, it's, our, it's my last show here at Colorado Insight. The series will go on, uh, but it's my last show. So we will get early to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Ms. Calhoun. A uh, decision just came down that Excel can bill its customers for the excess charges back in because of a storm in February 2021. Excel, which is suffering so much, is going to heap it on, tech, on consumers right now who are suffering. Eric. Well, for your last show, Dominic, I won't shock you with a surprise. I'll go back to a drum I've beaten <laughs> often. 
but um, the Democrats in this state and throughout this country who, over the last 20 years, had a decision to make of whether we want to pick up sides with underserved communities, largely black, largely brown, or whether we want to pick up side with the teachers union. And time and time again, they have chosen the teachers union. They've done it in this state again with the lame, limp legislation they just passed about innovation schools. Uh, they prove the point over and over again. My favorite albums are the greatest hits albums. Penn. Um, so uh, I'm going to risk us getting struck by lightning literally on your last show, but Mother Nature, you got to give us a break. <laughs> I mean, it's dry, it's hot, the winds are blowing, even airports are catching fire, ski resorts are closing two weeks early, and all the snow melt is melting early, so it's just going to be an awful summer. Help your children out, please. When the locusts come, the address that's Penfield Tate, care of PBS 12, 2900 Wellen Street. Natasha. Well, I'll take some pressure off him because that's going to be mine as well. I, I have these wonderful plants in, in my garage that every day I dutifully take out and then bring back in because we are flirting too close with that 40 degree temps for my comfort. But hopefully someday they will get in the ground and hopefully look nice all summer. <laughs> Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Well, we've taken a vote and clearly we cannot say anything nice about anyone other than you today, Dominic. <laughs> you have, I have worked through all the hosts on Colorado Inside yes, Out. Have. I can tell you, you have been such a pleasure to work with, and not just for all of us who you've always made co feel comfortable at the table, but for this city, and I hope Denver and Colorado appreciate the high level of civil discourse you have brought to topics around this state. Thank you. That was very, very kind, Patty. Thank you. Eric. Well, I mean, Patty said it well. I'll try to add my words, Dominic. It has been a joy to be part of the show with you. Viewers should know, even before you took the host chair, you were the formative influence in developing this show and in making the show it was. And as Patty said, a show that put civil discourse above everything else, where we don't, we might argue with each other, but we don't yell at each other and we don't argue over each other. Uh, the panelists, the four of us, and many other people who sit at this table, we owe you a debt of gratitude we can't repay. The station and the viewers of this program in this station owe you a debt of gratitude. I wore a green tie today, uh, deliberately in honor of new beginnings. It's a new beginning for you, yeah. and you're going to rock it, and I can't wait to see where you go. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Penn. Um, ditto. Um, <laughs> you know, we talk about politics a lot around this table, obviously, and, and you've been a leader in making sure the discourse is civil, but I think what's important for people out there to know is to, to be a servant leader and to be a public servant, you don't have to be in elected office. You can do what Dominic has done over the years and just make sure there's a platform for different thoughts and points of view and opinions to be heard in a respectful and clear fashion so that you can form your own opinions. And that's what Dominic has brought to the table here. Thank you very much. You are going to be missed. Great success in whatever you do. Thank you, Ben. Natasha. Well, that's quite the roundup. I will, I will do my best to follow it up with. You have mentored so many people at this table. Yes, you have directed the conversation. You've helped make Colorado politics better. But for people like me, it's been an incredible opportunity to be able to be part of this conversation and be part of important discussions in the state. So thank you for me, but for, I'm sure, every panelist who has sat at that table. We, we do have a concern, though because you are so good at taking care of your panelists, making sure that we shine in our moments, um, but we could be a little prickly. 
And we're worried that you might get a little bored if we're not here to bother you every week. So we just wanted to make sure you had something, <laughs> something you could take care of, something that you could really, you know, just remind you of what it's like to deal with us every, every week. What, so oh, that, thank you, Dominic. Uh, thank you, Natasha. One of the, probably the only houseplants that I won't be able to, to hurt. So I, I am grateful. Uh, I, um, I get a chance uh, to round up these Say Something Nices myself and uh, I take advantage. You can see why I always describe myself as a very, very lucky person when you hear from uh, these wonderful people and the kind things they said. I want to start with my friend, Natasha. Uh, we, uh, I, was, I had a chance to meet Natasha at a meeting years ago that the station had with, uh, at that point, an editor of 5280, Maximilian Potter, and he brought along his colleague, Natasha Gardner. And there's a potential partnership we were going to do, and that sounded great, but my, my first inclination to leave that meeting was, or if Natasha's available on Fridays, because that would be pretty cool. That other partnership was great. That never came to be, but fortunately, we were able to get Natasha. And I've also adored and appreciated so much to be the fellow optimist at the table. I always felt so, so like, things can be better, and I can always count on Natasha to be right there with me. And you have always so eloquently considered the other voices in our community and making sure that all the people impacted by the issues we talk about were considered. And I know all of our viewers have been so appreciative, almost as much as I have with you being here. Um, I also want to say something nice by our friend, uh, Mr. Tate, the, that I would actually, that you would tell me that we'd have the good fortune of getting a former lawmaker of Penfield Tate's uh, magnitude on this program would have told you we're crazy. It's Colorado Inside Out. We're not going to be able to get land Penfield Tate. Yet we did. And I, I was so lucky. Uh, we are so lucky to have this because our viewers have been able to see the statesman that we hope all lawmakers would will become someday. And you have been the model of how we can stay true to our views and yet communicate them with respect. And we can argue, but we can walk away as, as good people. And if, if even just a small percentage of society could catch that model and learn from it, Penn, we would live in a better place. And I'm grateful for, for your time here. Now, I've often told people that uh, when I grew up, I want to be Eric Sondman because uh, as our time here at uh, my time here at PBS 12, Eric Sondman is the source for political coverage. And there was a point in time with both the Rocky and the Post that, well, the only person they're contacting is Eric. So uh, is there anybody else who knows politics in Colorado? Uh, they finally had to find some more people, but it was always Eric that was a go to. You also need to know that he is uh, my wingman and has been grateful. I've been grateful for that because in 2008, um, we, I found out very quickly that I was suddenly going to be the host of our election debate series. I found out on Friday and it was Labor Day weekend. I called Eric Monday, Labor Day night to say, hey, um, Never host a debate before, and I would really like somebody there with me to make sure we're actually asking halfway decent questions. Would you be available? He was in the middle of a trip taking his, you were taking your daughter to college, right? right. And said, yes, how can I help? And so began in 2008, uh, one of the wonderful partnerships that we've had, Eric and I taking on some crazy debates, including, like we referenced earlier, that wonderful photo of Dan Mays and uh, John Hickenlooper and Tom Tancredo. That was one of my favorites, Eric. Thank you for always being my, my loyal wingman. And Scarecrow, I think I'm going to miss you most of all. <laughs> um, I love telling people that I have met uh, the two coolest women in the entire world. I married one of them, my wife Paula, and the other one I get to hang out with every Friday at noon in Patty Calhoun. And I've always appreciated that Peter Boyles came up with the very best way to describe Patty and her impact. She is the heart and soul of Colorado Inside Out. And 
she's been so supportive of me. Um, I, I'm not sure I can ever really quantify that. I, I'll struggle through it at some point, but I don't think I can really communicate it here. But I'll, I'll, I can sum it up this way. As I've, I've told our producers and I told L. Neff, I go, we'll send up the script every Thursday, send it out to the crew, uh, the panel. And inevitably, they might like it and we won't get any comments, but there might be some debate. We should cover this topic or that should move or what about this one? And I always told L, I said, what you do is wait. They might find a consensus. But if they don't on Friday morning, find out what Patty wants to do, just go with that. That has been a secret of our success for uh, 30 years now here on the show. Patty, thank you. Um, one last thank you is to you, our audience. I am uh, so grateful that you give us the honor to be in your homes, to share your lives with us every week. I love hearing from all of you, whether you like what David has said or don't like what David has said or enjoy what we've done here or have some suggestions for us. All of those are taken to the heart and I couldn't be more grateful. Uh, time is one of the most precious, if not the most precious commodity we have. And the fact that you would share some of that with us and with me uh, is an honor I will not soon forget. So um, please know how much it is appreciated in my time here with you watching us. I know I've gone long. I owe an, an apology to our mass control operators, which will somehow balance the clock, but uh, they, they are used to that and probably saw this one coming. So I will close with this uh, to all of our audience. Uh, lines from one of my favorite songs. We will meet again. I don't know where, I don't know when, but we will meet again some sunny day. That is all the time we have this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at KBDI, Colorado Public Television, PBS Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.